This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm David Marsland, and this is The Leader. It's thanks to... Uh, the, the work of the NHS and to the vaccine task force uh, that we have secured uh, more doses, I think, uh, per capita than virtually any other country in the world, certainly more than any other country in Europe. Boris Johnson was bigging up the UK's vaccine rollout at Prime Minister's questions, but in London, the alarm bell is being rung. The Evening Standards revealed the capital is receiving fewer doses of the Pfizer and Oxford versions per head of population than other areas. That's despite a major incident being declared as the city battles coronavirus. Our health editor Ross Lydell broke the story and he's with me now. Ross, how did this come to light? Yesterday, the London Assembly held a sort of urgent plenary session or investigation session into uh, the current state of play as regards COVID, whether this pressure on hospitals, you know, how many infections there are. A seemingly innocuous question was asked by Joanne McCartney, who's a Labour member for the north of the city up sort of Enfield Way. And she basically asked the chief nurse for London, a chap called Martin McRae, uh, whether it was correct the capital was not getting its fair share. And out of the blue, Martin McRae, who is also the COVID incident director for London as well, I should say, he said... Per head of population, we are not getting quite as much vaccine as maybe more rural parts of the country. And this was a bit of a bombshell, to be honest. We, we simply had no idea because all the government has done so far is publish national figures for vaccine rollout. So how's that happened? In its attempts to be fair to the country, the government via the NHS has been distributing bundles of vaccine on an equal basis to what they call primary care networks, basically little groups of GPs who have come together to distribute the vaccine. And if we compare it, if you like, to football clubs, it's almost like Liverpool Football Club gets a thousand vaccines, as does Manchester United, as does Burnley, as does Crystal Palace. But what is happening, of course, in places such as Crystal Palace compare that to Burnley, for example, there would be many more people within the Crystal Palace region because London is so populous than there will be in Burnley. So therefore, if a thousand vaccines come to Crystal Palace and a thousand go to Burnley, if you live in Burnley because you have fewer neighbours, you've got a higher chance of getting it. Is there a risk then that London will run out of vaccine? There won't be enough to go around in this early stage 
we haven't so much run out as in we haven't actually got enough. So we're not at the stage that people are turning up asking for it and not getting it. They're not allowed to turn up to get it until they're asked to turn up. So supply is being constrained at source. And Jonathan Van Tam, the famous JVT, said on the radio this morning that, yes, supplies are constrained across the country, mainly because they can't make it quickly enough and they can't give it safety approval as quickly as needed. He said that the NHS infrastructure is in place to deliver as many jabs as we get, just the jabs aren't coming through as quickly as we would like. However, uh, despite these sort of bumps in the road, as they describe them, we should get to about 14 or 15 million Britons vaccinated over the next month. And within that, the target is for more than 1 million Londoners and the foremost vulnerable groups to get the vaccine by the 15th of February. And are we going to hit that target? Well, we'll get the first indication tomorrow afternoon when the first regional breakdown is given of the number of vaccines. So we'll be able to see exactly you know, whether London is actually doing proportionately better or worse than, say, the North West, North East, West Midlands and so on. And then that will be good because it will then, if, if we are falling behind, it will then lead to enormous pressure on the government to get the vaccine to the places where the hospitals are fullest, which obviously is London as we stand. What we won't know, though, is data down to more granular level, you know, in terms of which boroughs are getting more. And that sort of thing is important as well. Really, we need to know on a borough by borough or NHS trust by trust or primary care network basis who's getting the vaccine and also who's being offered it and whether there are any particular problems about people turning the vaccine down, which would need immediate action as well if that is the case. Because there are suggestions, certainly Newham Council in East London is concerned that it's seeing a substantial number of people decline to have the jab. And that is not good news because we know that East London is one of the worst hit areas in the country. So now that this vaccine disparity, shall we call it, has been brought to light, is there anything being done to fix it or is that just the way it is for now? So what's happened is that yesterday the mayor, Sadiq Khan, had a call with Nadim Zahawi, who is the vaccine deployment minister. He followed that up today with a letter to him. He's also written to the prime minister. This story is now in the front page of a good half a million evening standards this afternoon. So it's now firmly in the public domain. Uh, we can expect more tomorrow. It's quite possible there will be more calls for London to get its fair share. We, we await news on, on the statistics, but I think we can uh, take it for granted that this one could become quite a sort of burning issue over the next uh, week or two, really. And of course, other regions could join in too, because it might not just be London that's suffering. It might be other large cities um, so, you know, Andy Burnham will be popping up, I'm sure, if he thinks Manchester's not getting its fair sort of slice of the pie. There's only so much we can, or so many times we can keep saying the hospitals are full and please obey the lockdown restrictions. Uh, you know, certain issues then start to run and people will essentially want to know, when am I going to get the vaccine and why is it that somebody on the other side of the country, whether especially if it's an area where there are lower infections, is getting it quicker than they are? Questions will be asked, is there a postcode lottery? And if there is, uh, nobody will want to be the person who's essentially having the, the vaccine postman come knock on their door last. 
You can read Ross's story in our newspaper or online at standard.co.uk where we have lots more on the coronavirus story, including the signs that lockdown is having an impact. Let's do the ads now, and while they're on, hit the subscribe button so you never miss our news, analysis and commentary every day at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. I've served with Ronald Reagan, with George H.W. Bush, and George Bush. I had respect for all of those presidents. They cared about our country, they honored our Constitution. And they executed the duties of their office consistent with the Constitution and laws of our country. That is not true of this president. And that is how the vote to impeach Donald Trump for a second time began in the House of Representatives. At the time of recording, it seemed all but assured it would be passed. The Senate will then hold a trial on a charge of incitement of insurrection. It all follows the riot at Capitol Hill in which five people died. With me now is Julie Norman, a lecturer in politics and international relations at UCL. Julie, just the very fact that Donald Trump's the first president to ever be impeached twice is of historical significance, isn't it? It certainly is, David. Today's vote is significant in that alone, just that this will be the first time that a U.S. president has been impeached twice. The vote is expected to go through today. Um, Almost all Democrats have signed on to the bill and are expected to vote for it. And importantly, several Republicans have also indicated that they will support impeachment as well and vote for it. That includes Liz Cheney, who is the third ranking Republican in the House. So in contrast to last year's impeachment process, which was strictly along party lines, this time we do see a bit of a, a loosening of Trump's grip over the GOP and at least some members ready to uh, step out and stake out a stance against him. So Liz Cheney said that publicly, someone who's not spoken publicly, but is reportedly in favour of impeachment is Mitch McConnell. He's the majority leader in the Senate, a Republican. How significant 
would his support be? So Mitch McConnell is the the, rank, the lead ranking Republican in the Senate. So as we know, after today, if impeachment passes the House, which is expected to, the next step will be a trial in the Senate. And that will require a two-thirds majority of senators to convict the president. Right now, Democrats, after Biden's inauguration, will have 50 votes. They'll need 17 Republicans to sign on with them. Um, Most Senate Republicans have been rather quiet on this so far. Uh, McConnell, at least privately, has suggested he supports the impeachment proceedings for essentially purging the party of Trump's influence, has not actually said how he'll vote yet. But if he continues to show that he at least even partially supports this measure, that would probably be the key momentum to getting at least some other Republicans on board and possibly enough to convict in the Senate. There does seem to be at least indications that Republicans are now beginning to distance themselves from Donald Trump, doesn't there? Things are certainly changing very quickly. So when just a week ago we had over 140 lawmakers on Capitol Hill standing by the president, opposing the election results, we see a very different reality playing out in Washington this week. Even some of his most staunchest allies, including Kevin McCarthy, who's the um, top-ranking Republican in the House, even though McCarthy himself is personally against impeachment, he has said he will not lobby or whip the vote for other Republicans to vote in the president's favor, which in itself is incredibly notable. We've seen the business sector start to cut ties with Trump, obviously big tech, and really just a very different kind of response from the GOP to Trump this time around. He still has a pretty strong grip on the party, but this seems to be loosening at least a little bit after last week's events. Where does all this leave the efforts, the Democrat efforts, to invoke the 25th Amendment that's removing a president for being unfit? So that was what the Democrats tried to push for initially before proceeding with impeachment, uh, the impeachment resolution today. Yesterday, they asked Mike Pence, the vice president, to invoke the 25th, which requires the vice president and a majority of the cabinet to deem the president unfit to discharge his his duties and to remove him from power, essentially. Um, Pence wrote back in a letter to Pelosi that he was not going to be willing to do that. And that was the uh, final action that then has motivated the impeachment proceedings to go forward. Now, Donald Trump was speaking in Alamo in Texas about the 25th and saying he doesn't care about it, but it might come back to haunt Joe Biden. He doesn't appear to believe that he's either going anywhere or that he's going to be giving up control of the GOP, does he? He doesn't. We haven't heard any signs of um, remorse from Trump for the events from last week. We haven't heard any kind of indication that he might be changing his tone or his rhetoric anytime soon. But what is true is that, again, on January 20th, Biden will be inaugurated president. It's unlikely that Trump will bow to any pressure to resign before then. The big question now is if this impeachment process can go through to a trial in the Senate, which could potentially bar the president from running for office in the future. That's the big question that remains for his future political trajectory. And that's the leader. We'll have more on this in tomorrow's leader available at 4 p.m. And we'll be keeping across U.S. politics ahead of the inauguration on January 20th.